Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I, of course, am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. With me across the pond in the land of the Red Dragon is the Wall Street Journal's gold standard in ghost hunting, the most honorable Stephen Parsons. Good afternoon. Have you got a new microphone? No, why should I? I don't know. It's either that you've got a peg on your nose. You sound different tonight. I do. Well, you know, it's one of those things. The weather is coming in across the coast. It's in the 80s. And we go back to our roots, back to nature, where all things have... Oh, God, you, you haven't started this naked gardening up malarkey again, have you? Well, no. Well, back to nature, you know. You haven't yeah, worried for a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems nature is out of whack right now, anyways. Oh, Speaking well. about that, you ever see the the remake of uh, The Long Ranger with, uh, uh, what's his name there? Johnny Depp? No. Oh, funny show. Funny. Very good. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not for everyone, but if you like Johnny Depp, it's a good show. Maybe, maybe we just haven't had it over here in the UK yet. I don't know. No, well, it's been a well, while. Don't, you don't have the Milky Bar Kid, so, hey. You know. No, why should we? You know, we have Mars bars. you sure you haven't got a new microphone? No, 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 no. All is fine. All is fine. Well, so, anyways. So laid back. Anyways, um, I, we got a great show, I understand. Uh, is, we always uh, Steve, have a great show. Steve has uh, put this together and... Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, joining in on this amazing uh, drink that we're about to take part in. I'm sorry. Um, I haven't put this together, but you were actually the inspiration for this because you said to me that we should get out more and we should record stuff while we're out more. And as it's the coming up to the season for the public ghost hunting, um, I thought it would be topical to... Lay, lay it on the table for discussion. Really? Well, that seems really interesting. more enthusiastic. Well, you know, it's... it's you know, just fake it, Ron, fake it. It's, it's, it's really exciting, as I mentioned earlier, and I'm really looking forward to this journey we're about to embark on uh, with our guest and, and, of course, the gold standard in ghost hunting. So uh, uh, why don't you introduce our guest right now, Mr. Parsons? Well, if you can barely contain your excitement, um, yeah, yes, um, he's been on. A, he's been the guest on the show before. Um, he's a paranormal investigator. He's a radio producer, and most recently, a documentary filmmaker. Um, but uh, our guest tonight also joined us uh, on a public joined me on a public ghost hunt um, a few weeks ago at Pembroke Castle, and whilst there, recorded some extracts. And as tonight's theme is public ghost hunting, the pros and cons, I thought it uh, 
prudent to bring the man who selected and edited the sound clip so that he can account for himself. So good evening, Dylan Jones. Thank you. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Ron. How are you? Oh, good evening. It's great to hear your voice again, Dylan. What is the matter with Ron? <laughs> I'm sorry. He's living the dream, Steve. Living the he's dream. On, I'll tell you, he's on something. I don't know what he's been up to. I, I, I'm quite not sure what you're uh, referring to, but if we move ahead, I'm sure. Yeah. Will the real Ron Kolek please? Yeah. Will the real Ron Kolek please sign into Skype? ASAP. Stat. Anyway. Dilling, uh, you have been on the show before, and it, it's you brought a great insight into. Uh, <laughs> so we, we are looking forward to what you seriously. have. So. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Ron, I'll talk I'll to mute, you. I'll mute my microphone while I finish laughing. Hang on. Well, I, I'm really not sure what. Uh, is the problem with Mr. Parsons, but I'm, I'm sure it must be uh, something to do with the weather over there in uh, Wales. But, uh, Dylan, we are really excited to have you back, as I mentioned earlier. And you are a film uh, producer. This is your new endeavor, and you've made some uh, amazing little clips that I've seen. And uh, you were lucky enough to accompany the Gold Standing and Ghost Hunt and Mr. Parsons to a public event at a castle. And uh, I, I uh, understand you have some pieces of that you collected that night, uh, little sound bits of uh, the clientele that were at the castle. Yes, that's right. We, uh, we went to uh, Pembroke Castle, which... And obviously, it, it's a it's a beautiful castle. Um, it's it's so um, it's it's so atmospheric. Uh, it's situated on this great crop of land, just overlooking um, some of the Welsh countryside. It's a beautiful place to visit, and it's got a lot of history with it. Um, and of course, there's some stories. Uh, and I was fortunate enough that night uh, to spend it with Steve, um, some of the parascience team, and of course all those people who turned up on the night itself to see if they could actually experience something uh, for themselves in the castle. Uh, Dylan, I'd like to uh, interject something. Actually, ask you a question in regards, you mentioned the parascience team. I, I, other than Anne and uh, Steve, I, I, I know very little of the rest of the team, and, and, and I was beginning to have my doubts if they really existed. Uh, so there were other members of the parascience team there, I understand. Yes, there was uh, about another three or four of uh, of the team that, that were there on the night. They were there really to sort of assist uh, all the, the guests that were, were at the castle to make sure that they got around safely uh, from one place to another in between um, all the different sessions that were going on. And uh, do they have names or do they remain nameless? Uh... Oh, you best, ask, uh, you best ask the gold standard on that one. Uh, I don't know where he's disappeared to. No, I'm back now. Oh, oh fine. Uh, sorry, sorry to spoil your fun, Ron. Um, oh. uh, on that, on that particular night, our team members, because they were not performing as team members, they were there as uh, health and safety assistants. Shall remain nameless. But thanks to Greg, Catherine, and Barry. Excellent. Excellent. And Ron, you yourself are a member of Parasites, albeit in absentia, so there is at least one other member that you're aware of, yourself. Well, unless I poke them with a the stick, I really don't know if they really exist, so... You don't need to know if they exist. 
I, I guess it's true. This is most true. It's that's a need-to-know. Parasites operates on a need-to-know basis. We need that's to know. so true, and that Nobody is why you does. are the gold standard in ghost hunting. So, tell why don't you uh, tell us, take us along this journey here to the castle, and, and what uh, what was the goal of this event, and, and what were the reactions of the clientele that arrived that evening? Who is that question directed against? Uh, either of you? Uh, well, I can answer the, the aims and objectives, but I don't think it's fair that I answer a question relating to the people's experiences because, mm-hmm. obviously, I have a biased out- outcome. The idea was the castle had been in touch and they had suggested uh, to run a public access event. For they, They'd run a, a series during 2014 which had been uh, organised and led by a psychic medium and what they had been uh, seeking is a counterpoint for people who wanted to go on an investigation without the without being led by a psychic without the the psychic trappings without the spiritualist trappings people who just wanted to study or or look at the the location from a different perspective so they asked me if i could uh, come up with some some package for them uh, which I was pleased to do. So parasites don't do uh, many public events. Uh, we've probably only done two or three in the last half a dozen years. Um, but it was a good opportunity to put together something, hopefully um, to give people the op- opportunity to explore the castle, but importantly, the opportunity to explore the concepts and the ideas of paranormal investigation, ghost hunting, in situ, on in location, without overburdening them without dragging them from location to location um, and having them have what, what's generally quite a passive experience. They will go to one, one uh, room or one area and they will see and perhaps join in with some table tipping and then to another area where it might be a Ouija board and then to a different area where it might be a Frank's box. Uh, what I wanted to do uh, was to give them the opportunity to investigate. So a short introduction to uh, give them the tools. Uh, tools, I mean the the, the knowledge. Uh, no equipment was, was used on the night except uh, people's own carers. They were given no books and pens, and uh, they were given some basic instructions. Sounds like a truly exciting uh, night. Uh, we uh, understand we have some clips, but since I'm not privy to the contents of these clips, well, I will I, ask I you to, to uh, introduce them when the proper time uh, comes along during the show, if, if you would. Uh, I would have to defer to Dylan, because like you, I have decided not to hit, listen to the clips beforehand, um, because I wanted them to be to any response to be completely um instantaneous very well so dylan uh, do you want to take us on this journey yeah i think that's uh, that's that's very kind of you uh, well we'll start off with uh, with the first clip then which is really uh, an introduction to the whole night itself so uh, if we can cue that one up we can we can listen to that one now pembroke castle has a long and fascinating history, 
for it was around 1093 that Arnulf de Montgomery built the small inner bailey standing at the end of the promontory. Only a few years later, the castle withstood a long siege by the Welsh, although its defenders were near starvation. The late 12th century keep is both an outstanding feature and an architectural novelty, for it has a massive cylindrical tower with an unusual stone dome. Now views from the top are tremendous and the castle's natural defensive position on top of the rock overlooking Milford Haven is immediately apparent. Pembroke is also noteworthy as the only castle in Britain to be built over a natural cavern, a large cave known as the Wogan. Historically, Pembroke is important not only for its masonry but for the fact that Harry Tudor, who became Henry VII and inaugurated the Tudor line of monarchs, was born here in 1457, reputedly in the tower now known as the Henry VII Tower. During the troubled reign of King Charles I, the castle was attacked in turn by both royalist and by roundheads as the sympathies of its occupants altered. In the latter stages of the struggle, an attacking force was led by Cromwell himself. Today, Pembroke Castle is owned and managed by a private charitable trust. Over the past ten years, much effort has been made to bring the history of the castle to life. In this respect, the visitor will find an exhibition room telling the fascinating history of the castle from the arrival of Arnulf de Montgomery to the present day. In addition, there are a number of exciting tableaux depicting various moments in the castle's history, such as the birth of Henry VII. The castle and a well-stocked gift shop are open all year. There is a cafe and a brass rubbing centre open during the summer months and at other times by arrangement. So that's the history. But there is another side to Pembroke Castle. There are reports of ghosts, of unusual occurrences taking place around the castle grounds. Steve Parsons has been given an exclusive opportunity to investigate Pembroke Castle and has even opened this up to the public for tonight. Pembroke Castle has its secrets. Oh, that was uh, quite good, Bill, and I... I uh, especially enjoyed the uh, chamber music in the background. Well, I tried to get it ready, very much music from the, the Tudor period for you, Ron. I don't oh, think thank- it's going to uh, hit the Billboard 100 or the, uh, the UK Top 40, but I think it would, uh, I think it sort of set the scene. That's what I wanted to do to start with, was give you a bit of background. I haven't put anything in there, though, that's going to give anything away to uh, the members of the public. What information that was was purely in the public domain. So, Steve, when you do these uh, ghost hunt events, uh, and and as Dylan mentioned, a lot of the material is available in the public domain. Uh, Is it difficult to go in there with a skeptical mind? And, uh, of course, any evidence collected, would it be tainted because of this information in the public domain? Um. To a large extent, absolutely. We we have to bear in mind that uh, all around the castle um, are plaques and uh, information boards. Plus, as Dylan mentioned in the piece, there's a gift shop selling booklets and uh, lots of other historical uh, works relating to the castle. The internet also, you know, the, the castle has its own website. 
Um, there is a great deal of information, not just about the castle, but also about its ghosts uh, that are available for everybody. And, of course, we can access that too, so we know what information is available. That's not really the issue on, on a public investigation, because a public investigation is really to give people an insight into the methods used for investigation, because you can't begin to conduct um, any form of true investigation um, with so many people. Uh, the idea of a public access event is to allow them to experience the location, to allow them to, as I say, gain an insight into some of the techniques, some of the tools that the investigators may use. So we're not really too concerned on the public access investigation about the amount of information that the participants have access to beforehand. Well, do you think that because it is a public access investigation and this data is available that the, the results are because it is available and people go expecting to receive these results? I think inevitably the, the majority of the people there are there purely because the castle has a reputation or, or any location has a reputation for its ghosts. Um, after all, if we were to advertise a ghost hunt in uh, in the middle of a trading estate in a large superstore, for example, I don't think we'd get many participants. But Pembroke Castle looks uh, looks like a haunted building should. It's a big, dominant structure. It does have uh, history. It does have legends attached to it. And the, the majority of people, we have to recognise, are there um, wanting to see ghosts, wanting to have an experience of the paranormal for themselves. What we try to do is to, uh, in some way, give them the information and allow them to, to form critical uh, opinions, rather than just going, in, going to a location and blindly accepting that everything that they might encounter is a paranormal experience. To, to question their experiences, to ask, are there any, what are the other possibilities? I see. And, and what, were those results obtained at this investigation? Well, what we did do, and what we always do, is to ask people to, uh, we give them the notebooks and the, the uh, pens beforehand, and we ask them to uh, write down um, briefly their experiences, which we collect and we collate later. Uh, so it adds to the information pool but we are fully aware that it's a public, a public access event and that they are different types of events than uh, a formal investigation, perhaps. And so we treat the information slightly differently. But nonetheless, it is a location where people have experiences and those experiences are still worth documenting. They're still potentially significant pieces of information. Um, they're no different than the pieces of information that we collect from day visitors, from members of the staff, from our own investigation team. All those little strands of information allow us to gain a greater knowledge and a greater insight into some of the experiences that people have. And I guess my question would be, as Dylan was doing documentary work there, how did that affect this being a public ghost hunt affect his 
documentary. Oh, that's really a question for Dylan. In, in terms of how of how Dylan uh, Dylan's documentary affected what we were doing, it didn't at all. Um, I don't think it it, it was it, I, apart from the direct uh, questions that he put to some of the participants. I barely noticed him recording the documentary. Dylan, uh, how is how is the experience for you as a documentary filmmaker? It was uh, it was very interesting because um, <clears throat> what I always tried to do is when I'm producing the documentary is try to be as unobtrusive as possible. And I'm glad Steve said that that he hardly noticed me because that that is the whole point. Um, you don't want to become the crack in the wall that everybody suddenly notices um, that you're there. So I, I tried to be very sort of discreet about how I went about recording and the questions that I asked. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a, it was an interesting experience um, looking at how people um, were reacting when they were there, because Steve did some excellent presentations when we were there. Um, they were very they were full of lots of knowledge and really good information and some good educational stuff, and it was still interesting to see whether or not people actually did pay attention to what was being said. Um, because there's, there's a clip, I think it's the fourth clip that we're going to play uh, later on uh, in the show, where people did come back with things which um, Steve had already said, look, you really need to watch out for this because we know what this could be. And yet they still didn't, uh, it still didn't sort of, the information didn't sink in. So that was quite interesting. It does sound interesting. What, what is our second clip uh, in regards to? So the second clip is really now, it's the start of, of the evening. So uh, let, let's take a listen to it. So here we are on this chilly February evening, sat in the cafe at Pembroke Castle. All the guests are here waiting for Steve Parsons, the co-founder of Parascience, to give his welcome and a little bit of an introduction to all the would-be investigators tonight. You are going to be investigating the ghosts of Pembroke Castle. Many ghost hunts, that the, which have public access, people take you round in groups and they show you things and you stand and watch and it's all very passive and very boring. But what we want to do is to give you the opportunity to help us um, with our long-term investigation of the stories of the hauntings of Pembroke Castle, which go right back around about 50 years at least if we can trace documents. So as you don't get lost and too spooked out, I've uh, engaged the services of Howard, one of the, the chief guides of the castle, and Howard is going to take you out for the next 15, 20 minutes just to orientate you to the castle itself. Now, just before you do go out, the castle's very dark, and obviously you know, we won't be putting the lights on because there aren't any in many of the areas. Um, so do take care as you're walking around. But Howard will, will orientate you to the castle, and when you come back, we've got maps and plans as well for you. OK, so that was Steve's introduction, and now we're going to uh, take a little bit of a wander through the castle grounds and listen to what Howard, the castle historian, has to say about this absolutely magnificent building. I know quite a few have been before, haven't you? Yeah, so you're probably familiar with the castle anyway. But for the benefit of those who haven't... Um, this is the main gatehouse and this is the part of the castle that's 
760 years old. Nothing here is less than 760 years old. Over there, with the great keep and the towers, that's all 800 years old. And inside of that, there's also the Norman Great Hall. When that was a wooden castle in 1093, they built a stone-built great Norman Great Hall inside there as well. I'll point all that out to you as we go around. As you may have gathered, you're now in the Henry VII Tower. Got a long story short, in the Wars of the Roses, since 1450 to 1485, when, when Castle and Half the Royal Family were battling the Yorkist Royal Family, uh, there's a little boy born here. And he fought and defeated King Richard III at the Battle of Bosworth in 1485 and became the King of England, Henry VII. His son was Henry VIII, his granddaughter was Elizabeth I. So the whole of the great Tudor dynasty started right here in this tower. So we've just had a fascinating 15, 20 minutes with Howard Rudge, the historian here at Pembroke Castle. He hasn't mentioned anything to us about any of the alleged sightings or any of the occurrences that are supposed to take place within the castle. Are we going to bump into uh, Henry VII or uh, perhaps his mother? Who knows? Let's see what tonight will reveal to us. And that is the end of it. Isn't that the end of it? That's the end of that part, yes. Conveniently close to the ad break as well. It all falls into place. All falls into place. Yeah, it's not just thrown together this show, you know. Anyways, that was uh, interesting. Uh, I would have one quick question before the break, and and I would have to ask, uh, how much time from when the people assembled and how much time for presentations before the actual uh, ghost investigation took place? Uh, In terms of the walk-around, people arrived, uh, they were given a, a uh, a, br- a very short briefing about the events for the, uh, the night. Uh, they then went out with Howard, which took, as, as Dylan said, uh, just short of uh, 30 minutes. Um, and then they came back in, had a short break. So from from the first arrival to going out with, with Howard, the guide, uh, probably about 10, 15 minutes, uh, welcoming cup of tea and a short talk. And what about your presentation, Mr. Parsons? <laughs> Uh, my presentation, I think, I have no idea, about 40, 40 minutes. Um, it took them through a little bit of uh, the, the, the functions of a ghost hunt, why, what we hope to achieve, uh, some of the techniques that we use, just outline some of the techniques that we use. You know, obviously, going into great detail, you don't want to bore the producers out of people because, frankly, they're there to, and they've paid money to investigate the castle, not listen to me uh, blather on about ghost hunting. Right. So anyways, I know that we are coming up to the break, and uh, I really look forward to uh, Dylan's other two pieces, which deals with, of course, this event, a public investigation of Pembroke Castle. And uh, I'm really excited. In fact, I understand, uh, you know, that because of all the work that uh, Steve Parsons has done there, uh, they actually have a Steve Parsons bobblehead doll in the gift shop. Uh, that's what I have been told, anyways. Uh, anyways, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles so Next International, right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Planet Paranormal, Crackle Radio, and beyond.
Monday mornings just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Blassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be with remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased. We'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky. The Parax family. The shows are paranormal. Not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal. The Parax family. They're strange. Deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous. As we give awards to the Parax family. Greetings and felicitations. I am Ron Cola, New England's own Van Helsing. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the Blonde Bombshell. And we're here at the elegant Benford Hall, the Downton Abbey of Menace. And we would like to extend a formal invitation to you. To tune in every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Ghost Chronicles and Next Generation. On Toginet, Parax, Ghost Channel, and Planet Paranormal. You can even listen live on your smartphone with your tune-in app. I'll catch the podcast on iTunes. And now, time for tea. Ah, my favourite trailer for Ghost Chronicles The Next Generation. It's the only time tonight that we've heard a normal Van Helsing who seems to have been on the green tea. Uh, when he when he was down at Downton Abbey tonight, but anyway, um, tonight we're talking about public ghost hunting because it, it's topical. Seeing as I've just come back from Ireland after doing a charity public ghost hunt, and uh, based on the fact that back in February when I did a public ghost hunt at Pembroke Castle here in West Wales, Ron said to me after the show uh, or before the show, uh, before I did it actually, we should we should do more live stuff. We should do more away from the studio stuff. So I took him at his word. I uh, asked very nicely if Dylan Jones, who's a fellow investigator and radio producer and a documentary maker, would assist us uh, putting together a few sound bites and a few clips that we could discuss on the show. Uh, little did I know that it was the night that Ron was on acid. But never mind, Dylan. 
Dylan. Sorry, you dro- my, my Skype is terrible tonight, Steve. You dropped out then just as you went to ask the question. That's probably a good thing. My Skype must be on acid too. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we've, <laughs> we've got to the point where we've, we've introduced the location and we've, uh, we've dragged the poor members of the public around uh, and orientated them uh, to, the, to the castle. Uh, now, I think we, we gave them some more uh, hot, sweet tea before packing them off into, into smaller groups and pairs uh, to send them off in, onto the location. I should stress that we always, um, whether, it's, uh, whether it's a public investigation or whether it's a, uh, a team investigation, we always work in pairs. And uh, we have a rule in parascience and on the public investigations that I do uh, that people should never be more than two outstretched arms lengths apart. Uh, and always in full sight of each other. There are two reasons for that. Obviously, the first being their the safety and well-being, um, because some of the locations, you know, the floors can be a little uneven. It can be predominantly dark. Uh, they may not have lighting. Um, and the second reason is, of course, that if one of them has an experience, there is a second witness available, which is always good for the information-gathering process. So, Dylan, what happened next? Well, if we can uh, get part three ready, we can find out what happened when uh, certainly I and uh, and all the other people started to head off into their chosen parts around Pembroke Castle. So uh, let's see what happened. So, Steve, we've just had a briefing here at Pembroke Castle for the whole, uh, for the night ahead. What is your main task for the investigators tonight um predominantly to gain their experiences um, what we're interested in is trying to verify whether their experiences relate to uh, the ex- previous experiences that we have on, on record same place same sort of environment there have been ghost hunt groups here before and of course we are here at night the same time as the ghost hunters so we have their accounts already on document do the people that are here tonight, hopefully without preloading them with expectation or belief, although there is a degree of inevitability, um, will, will their experiences match previous visits? Will that give us some insight into the nature of the experiences? Can we then look at that experience, that common experience, and, suggest, uh, and come up with potential normal explanations? And if we can we test them? Can we go beyond that? Sometimes we can't always find an explanation. But what we do need to start off with is that testimony, that that it is a paranormal experience. We need people to test the veracity of that claim by being in the same place at the same time. Now, I've noticed that you've sent everybody off in their pairs and their teams, but there's no equipment. What have you sent them off with? Um, We've sent them off with a notepad and pen and a torch. And very, very little else, because the people who have the experiences predominantly, uh, staff, uh, visitors to the castle, are not here ghost hunting. If we sent them off armed with Ouija boards and all manner of other stuff, we're preloading them with expectation. They obviously know that they're here to investigate the paranormal. There's an inevitability of that. Um, but we've we've given them no information um, tonight about the castle. There is obviously a lot of public information that we have to deal with. Um, we haven't told them what, that they, what they should document. We haven't told them where they should go. Um, it's very much left to the devices of the individual, which is 
realistically how it should be. Um, in effect, what we're trying to do is undo uh, the mindset that they're here to look for ghosts. Well, I'm just about to grab my map, my notepad and my pen, and I will see you in an hour's time. What are you going to be doing in the meantime? Well, first of all, I've got to pack up the presentation, and then I shall also be donning my warm coat and uh, heading off out to have a wander around and talk to some of the people who are here, see how they're getting on, maybe offer them some words of encouragement, answer any questions that they might have. The first part of this evening, we're actually going into the Great Gatehouse as we speak, so we're taking a little trip up the stairs. I've been paired with uh, my wife for this evening. And we're going to be going into uh, one of the exhibition rooms. And it is, as you can imagine, very dark in the castle right now. So we're going to take our seats in the exhibition room. And if I can just tell you that the room at the moment, there are two models in here of the castle. And uh, we're going to take our seats and uh, start making any observations that we can. Uh, for the next 20 minutes. So we've been in the uh, tower now for approximately uh, 30 minutes. During this time, uh, we haven't felt anything in particular. It feels fairly uh, relaxed. It feels very calm in here. It's not particularly cold. Um, we've heard some noises, like footsteps and thuds, uh, people talking, but we pretty much putting that down to uh, the movement and the discussion with uh, other members, uh, other investigators who may be elsewhere within the gate tower. Been making notes all the time that we've been in here, um, but again, nothing seems to be untoward, uh, nothing unusual as yet. Um, and we're just going to sit here, I think, for the next uh, 25 minutes until the break at 9 o'clock. Nothing has uh, really happened while we've been sat here, pretty much in the dark. We've heard the sound of uh, what we believe to be other investigators moving around. But in terms of any actual experiences, there haven't been any of note. Uh, the temperature has remained fairly consistent, we're not feeling cold, the atmosphere is fairly light and friendly, uh, don't feel any animosity in the building at all, um, we're feeling very relaxed, but uh, looking forward to a nice hot drink and some food at the interval. That was the, uh, my experience for in, in, in the gatehouse on, the, on that night. Well, Dylan, I would have to ask you... Uh, Relatively, it sounded very boring. Uh, do you think because Steve deprived you of your equipment, you were forced to experience things differently than you would have if you had your equipment? Um, I, unfortunately, Ron, my, my equipment usually consists of uh, pen, paper, and a torch anyway. Um, I'm, I... I I'm not one of these ones who uh, nowadays would would actually go out with with an EMF meter and and then that kind of thing. Um, so for me, um, it was it was almost back to sort of the old traditional policing methods where you where your pocketbook and pen were your were your main weapons. Uh, and, and for me, that was fine. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the other guests that were there this evening? When I spoke to them, and we've got some clips of that we can play in, in, in a moment, um, I think a lot of them, they said to me that they felt that it was, um, it was refreshing not to have to, to rely on all these things that they very often see on television and that they used before. Um, so I, I think that was a, a very positive experience for them. Interesting. Steve, so, I mean, we, go ahead. I was going to say, we, we, you know, when the, when the next clip is ready, you'll hear some of their experiences then, and then, uh, they're, they're, they're quite interesting. So the uh, half-time break here at Pembroke Castle, I've just come back into the uh, the cafeteria area to get warm, have some hot food. And I'm talking to Julie at the moment. So, Julie, where were you uh, for the first hour? Um, in Western Hall. What experiences have you had whilst you were in there? Um, I had a feeling that somebody was standing to the left of me, um, just watching. And that was about 8, eight o'clock. I just felt a presence to the left of me. And how would you describe that presence? Just like somebody was standing there watching. Just like somebody was standing there watching. Um, I heard humming, like a, a really low humming sound, like men humming together. Just a really listen. How long did that go on for? Not long at all, about three seconds, two or three seconds. What kind of things did uh, you experience in that hour? Well, we heard footsteps above us and things being dragged around. They were really heavy footsteps. Um, got the impression that possibly it was armed soldiers, I don't know. Um, Helen heard a battle cry. So again, we don't know whether it was somebody upstairs or whether there was something going on up there. Um, went around to a few other places. We stopped in the projection room, which was under the Westgate Tower, and got the impression there... Um, it went very, very cold and sort of got the feeling that there was perhaps a laundress or a maid with a baby there. Um, again, we didn't see anything. It was just an impression we got. And then we went over to the Northgate Tower. Nothing on the ground floor there, but on the first floor room, um, I could smell wood smoke and Helen got the smell of somebody's perfume. So... We both smelt something, but completely different, and it was neither of our perfumes, if that's any help. We're just having a look at some pictures that have been taken. Where were these pictures taken? Um, in the Henry VII room, um, with the models there. Um, and we're just questioning why there's, there's a white streak in one of the photographs. We've been trying to work out whether it's actually a reflection from anything, whether it's reflecting in the perspex. So I was just talking to Steve about it. And, you know, I'm looking at it, it is on a mobile phone, and it's a very, you know, it's a relatively small screen, and I, I honestly wouldn't like to say whether it, what it was. Um, the explanations lie somewhere between the normal and the abnormal. Um, and with certainty, that's the only thing I can say. Um, hopefully you'll email me the picture. I will. Hopefully yeah. I'll be able to have a better look at it, try and understand more about it. It may be, uh, as the lady said, a reflection. It may be something much more interesting. Um, but it's part of those strands of information that come together. It's this objective information um, that builds, you know, helps us get an understanding as to what's happening.
So that was the uh, the experiences of uh, just some of the people that were there that night. And obviously, they, there were a lot of notes uh, compiled throughout the evening. And I know that Steve has, uh, has had the pleasure of having to, uh, to sort all those out. So, so Dylan, I mean, these were quite different experiences than the one you had. I mean, how do you account for that? Um, it, it could well be um, uh, you know, that they, they could have come preloaded with expectation. Um, I mean, that there are so many ghost hunting companies. I think, I think one count in 2009 was that there was something like over 2,500 companies in the UK, um, some of them with 1,000 customers a month who were actively going along because they want an experience. Um, so, yeah, they could be preloaded. Um, we did mention at the beginning that, that some of the history is available online. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of people, when they're going on a ghost hunt, um, they, they will read up nowadays. And that information is now so easy to get hold of, uh, whereas before 10, 20 years ago, you know, you had to go to a book to find it. Um, and also, I think that possibly sometimes um, there could be imagination because they are in a castle. It's dark. It's cold. Uh, but then again, those experiences could be completely genuine. Um, and for a documentary maker, it's not my job to sort of say which one I think it is. Um, I think that's going to be definitely down to Steve to come in and uh, and look and analyse those experiences and have a look to see if there's any patterns there. Well, why don't we do that right now since we have the gold yeah. standard in ghost hunting? Why don't we ask Mr. Parsons what his thoughts were on that evening as far as the experiences that the clientele had that evening? Well, as I say, um, I'm probably the last, the, the least person that you should ask because uh, obviously I, I, my opinion would be biased. However, all of the feedback I've had from the guests that were there that night who have uh, got in touch via the different uh, means and methods have been universally uh, positive. Um, moreover, there has been a number of requests uh, for a, a second, a follow-up uh, event to take place, which is being scheduled for the summer to give people a second opportunity and also to give people who, who missed out the first time around an opportunity to uh, to go along to the castle. Um, in terms of people's expect uh, people's experiences on the night at this stage i have no conclusions at all because uh in all honesty i don't think it's the right time to draw any conclusions at the moment it's still very much a data gathering and information gathering phase because what we're what we're really after are accounts of pers of people's experiences now we have we've heard a range tonight we've heard dylan's uh experience which was generally quiet. Not, 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 nothing took place. The atmosphere relatively was mundane. relatively mundane. Some would say boring. We had others who, <laughs> who experienced what they described as battle cries and the marching boots of soldiers. So you have, a, you have opposite ends of the spectrum of experiences taking place. Um, now, we did also hear about a photograph that was presented on the night. It was presented on the night on a very small screen on the back of a camera, digital camera. And, and uh, I did request that the lady email it to me. And, in fact, the lady did e email it to me the following day. And it did turn out that the picture was actually uh, the, the white stripe on the picture that was, uh, appeared so mysterious um, on the camera screen. Um, was in fact the reflective stripe on her husband's jacket. Uh, he 
walked in front of the picture just as it was taken and had managed to get himself into shot. Uh, the picture had been very badly underexposed because of the flashback from the reflective stripe on his jacket. Um, and it was, uh, we, we just turned up the brightness, sent, it, sent the picture back to the lady who immediately recognised the culprit as being her husband and uh, remonstrated with him. Uh, but we have this whole range of experiences. You have visitors, you have hundreds of visitors that go to the castle every single day and they have no paranormal experiences at all. They see nothing unusual. They're there to admire the castle. Yet one or two, a fragment of the total number of visitors, will have an unusual experience. And what's interesting about Pembroke Castle and what's interesting about other locations is that these thousands of visitors that produce these tens, perhaps dozens of accounts over a year, there is a consistency to the type of account that they have the type of experience they have, and also where they have it. That that's what we're looking for, those strands of information that are contained within these fragmentary bits of uh, reports of experiences. It's, it's completely to be expected that uh, people on the, on the night at Pembroke Castle and the public ghost hunt, like Dylan, had a relatively mundane experience. And it's also entirely to be expected that people had an exciting experience with marching boots and battle cries. That's the nature of, of people's experiences. And that's what we're... When we say we, we hunt for ghosts, we're not actually hunting for ghosts. We're hunting for the reasons that people see ghosts. We're, we're explorers of human experience. Let's see. So, judging from the data collected that night, there was no patent uh, in Au any contraire. Au contraire. What we did find uh, that stood out on the night in five or six reports uh, was um, a remarkable consistency between two locations and the f uh, six or seven uh, experiences that were shared between the two, two locations spread over the four, four and a half hours that people were out uh, on the lo in the location. Now, these. What's also interesting is that these uh, experiences, which have happened to others before, have not yet appeared in on the social media. They have not appeared in the castle's information or internet sites, and even more. Interestingly, they have virtually not appeared on any paranormal groups' websites because so few groups have actually investigated Pembroke Castle that we don't yet have that, that sort of level of information from the investigation groups. But what we are seeing is there is a degree of consistency. And what was most remarkable of all that night is one of the incidents that took place not only was witnessed by two members of the public who were participating, but was also witnessed by the gold standard in ghost hunting firsthand. Really? And it also ties in with previous experiences that haven't yet been made public. Really? Could you care to divulge this? Or? <clears throat> no, because that would make it public. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but so it was interesting you, you have that collected information that you... Uh, do not want to share. So what is the purpose of collection other than for your own edification? 
Well, it isn't for my edification. It's for the greater benefit of the investigation. Um, I, I, I do not seek to edify myself in any way, shape or form. I never have done. My, my sole raison d'etre has always been to investigate ghosts and people's experiences of ghosts and hauntings. Uh, but I was if you're not willing to night. share that, well, we do share it. That's that's not that's not the case. What we do uh, is we we share it with the location whose ghosts it, they are. Um, so with client, and we we do uh, then share the information uh, via via the website via peer review after we have gained the full permission of the location to do so. But importantly, during these uh, phases. Or information gathering. If I were to say on air now what took place that night, what was witnessed, um, and what was corroborated by previous accounts, then I would be spoiling future uh, investigations because I will have seeded my own doom in effect by by telling people what they're likely to experience and what they're likely to affect and make my my job ten times harder and diminish the quality of the investigation that we're doing there. But you did share it with the person who had the common experience. Uh, No, they had the common experience, but they don't know that it had ever been uh, witnessed before. So their experience was unique to them. They don't know about it, about the fact that their experience was was a was also a prior experience to others. As far as I'm aware, the only well, two why would you that, provide that validation to them? Uh, because they don't need to know that information either. They had an experience which they realised was significant. Um, so but it did diminish that valid, It didn't use that well, experience. For well, we you. haven't. We haven't decreased. Yeah, absolutely. We haven't spoiled or decreased the experience for the two people that had the experience that night. They went away having had that experience. What we what we didn't do is, of course, tell them that others others had reported similar experiences. There was no need to. It didn't. It didn't. It wouldn't have added to their experience. It wouldn't have taken anything away from their experience. It would most definitely added to their experience, knowing that someone well, else had a common experience with them, and that they alone were not crazy or well, they just, never imagined for one minute imagine they, or just had their uh, imaginary problem well they didn't um they didn't have an imaginary problem um they didn't think that they were crazy um and as far as i'm aware after speaking with the people at, at length about the experience they realized that what they had was an experience that was that was a special experience to them and i don't think the the fact that they didn't they weren't made aware of others having a same experience spoilt it one jot well there is the bell which means we must wrap it up but i i disagree with you because uh if you know and i know that the further you get away from an instance the more you rationalize it and if you were able to provide them with a uh, some validation of that experience, they, that validation, that uh, rationalization may not occur. So you you actually take something away from them by not sharing the knowledge. So, anyways, we have to wrap it up. We'll have to give them a refund if they come to the next event. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojinet Parex. 
Planet Paranormal, Crackle Radio. And our very, very special guest has been an outstanding chap, Mr. Dylan Jones. And we want to thank you, Mr. Jones, for all your work and providing us with those quite interesting clips. Thank you. And anytime, anytime you want anything, just let me know. Excellent. Mr. Pass, anything else you would like to add? Uh, no. Um, I had a successful weekend in Ireland, and I'm looking forward to getting back to uh, sitting writing stuff on the computer. So a very quiet week, unlike you, who's always constantly busy. Yes, I am. And tonight we have, of course, our red light seance. Where we... I knew there was something wrong. Yes, where we cross over the realm, the border, the the borderline between the realms of the living and the dead. So, anyways, uh, till next week, and uh, well, we, do we have a guest next week? Um, I was hoping. Well, I'll talk to you off air about that. But yes, okay. I have a plan. I have a plan. Most excellent. So, uh, check my website out: neghostproject.com. That's the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. Mr. Steve Parsons will be joining us here in September for Spirit Quest. Tickets are on sale now. Uh, don't miss out this rare opportunity to meet the gold standard in ghost hunting and the founder of Parascience. Till next week. Co-founder of Parascience. And God bless. Good night. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.